Hello and welcome to Team Titans, the stories of people with unique perspectives on work itself, how they build tools, lead teams, and define or maybe even break processes. I'm your host, Ryan Spilken, and joining me on co-hosting duties today is lead product manager at Adaptivist, Ingrid Thornton. Ingrid, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. A real pleasure. Now, Ingrid, you actually come to this co-hosting bit as it's a bit of a family tradition. You have some experience, a little background with people who do podcast-like things. Is that right? Um, Yeah, my parents are journalists and my mom is sort of specialized in interviewing techniques and has been talking about that our whole lives, which I never listened to. Um, But maybe some of that just sort of trickled on uh, into my genes. We'll see. I certainly know that you are familiar with technology products and building those products. And so that makes you the perfect person to join our guest today. And that is Florin Biro, co-founder and CEO of Jexo. Biro, and now you're affectionately known as Biro. Welcome to Team Titans. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So... I'm not going to call you Florin because that's just your mom's, right? That's, no. that's nobody but mom says that. You're so. not my mom, so. <laughs> and I am not allowed, which is perfectly fine. So, Biro, before we get into the work that you've done at Jexo, we I want to give our listeners a sense for who you are as a person. So, could you tell us a little bit about Young Biro? How did you even come to technology? Oh, this is so interesting because I literally just wrote a script the other day um, for a uh, video that I'm going to make for um, my uh, my own podcast talking about um, how I became me, basically. Um, and yeah, so I would say at a very, very early age, I was extremely interested and curious in absolutely everything. So I would see something and I would try to replicate it. Um, be it more creative things. Like um, I think uh, when I was a teenager, uh, I really wanted to be a movie director and um, I would write scripts and I would um, uh, be very fascinated about uh, science fiction. Um, And then further on, I started, uh, I think my dad bought a PC. This was in the uh, probably early, early twenties, like 2000, uh, sorry, early 2000s. Um, and I was very fascinated by that piece of tech. So I started exploring with it. Um, and while growing up in my teenage years, rather than going out and having fun, I would just stay at home and explore this mysterious box and see what I can achieve with it. And I've done absolutely everything from music to photo, Photoshop, video editing to um uh, videos to absolutely everything. I would just download tools, trials of tools, and try them out and do ver- various things. So, I think it's it came from from this um, place of curiosity of um, trying things, and, and I've always had this confidence that I can pick up anything and learn and um, and utilize it. And I, I would say the first my first interaction with technology, with engineering, and such. Um, came from uh, a need to build my own website for a business that I was uh, creating. Um, Just to give you a bit of a background, I started my first business unofficially when I was um, 17, officially when I was 18. (laughs) Uh, And I was was doing cosmetics. I was selling uh, 
cosmetics, uh, hair extension, wigs back in in Romania in my country. I would um, I would import them from uh, from China and sell them in, in in Romania. And at one point, I was uh, I was growing. I was selling through various social networks. There was um, back then early Facebook. There was a um, um, platform called High Five, very popular in my country. Um, I think it was. Uh, the equivalent of MySpace, um, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, so and then eventually I started selling more, and I started putting a proper business together. So I needed a website, and I didn't want it to spend money on a company to build me a website. And having this attitude of I can do anything, I started overnight learning uh, uh, HTML at first and CSS. And then uh, uh, PHP and my SQL, uh, and I started putting together an e-commerce website for for my business. And that was my entry to technology and to engineering. No exposure to coding before then? No, no, none. I mean, it's fairly common for me to hear that, or this isn't the first time I've heard that somebody has started in code through HTML. That's not... But um, the fact that you weren't touching any of it until your business was in full swing, and then you decided, you know, I'm just, I'm going to build the website. Wow, that's really something. Did you feel like, I want to do this a lot? When you started, when you started seeing your website come to life, were you like, oh, this is really rewarding. I really like doing this. Yes, it was. It was actually um it gave me a feeling that I've not actually had that much before. I would say I'd, I'd had the this um, this feeling of creation and um, uh, and art, to put it like that. When I was doing a bit of uh, music, a bit of um, uh, photo manipulation, and even video uh, editing and such, but none at the level that um, coding and, and engineering gave me. I felt that. I was really creating something useful um, with a bunch of code put together. And um, yeah, I, I just got hooked after that. And I've tried so many things while, while I was still running my, my business in parallel, um, started getting into Facebook apps early on, was creating um, music players on Facebook apps. And yeah, so I got hooked from that moment, yeah. That's really interesting because I think if you're in tech, you realize that it's a really creative space. And if you're on the outside looking in, the last thing you'd call it is creative. But do you agree? It's it's such an important um, sort of personality trait to have, right? To be creative. No, I completely agree. And I think, uh, look, I uh, I don't consider myself a good engineer. And actually, my team recently just got rid of my uh, last pieces of code from uh, from our apps, uh, <laughs> which I'm actually quite proud of, right? Uh, so I'm not—I don't consider my, myself a really good engineer. I—I I was a practical engineer, and I think my creativity and my um, exploration attitude helped achieve some some of the things that I've achieved in the past with the um, with the projects that I've worked on and creativity is massively one of them um, even if you're a, and especially if you're a brilliant engineer I think um, you have to have a creative uh, mind in order to be able to architect I think our architecting you know comes from a from a 
from the creative side um, of your brain as well. Like our archi architects usually, let's say, you know, building architects, they're considered artists, right? Um, I think we can call um, engineering architects, um, coding architects, um, artists as well. Agree. And um, I mean, I don't want to jump ahead too, too much here, but I'm just dying to hear the link between hair extensions and Jira apps. Well, I was going to suggest that it seems like the hair business stopped growing. <laughs> um, but what, yeah, what was between extensions and software extensions? Well, none, really. It's a very long and complicated um, uh, history. And, and that's why I've decided to make a, a video because um, I don't know where sometimes we're uh, fooled by illusions online when we see successful people that we think that overnight, oh, they picked up this um, technology or they had this idea and they took it and made it successful when, you know, probably 80% of um, successful founders and um, people don't go through that um, very simple, straightforward process or history. And for me, I think Eventually, I was quite young when I was doing the, um, the the cosmetics business. Eventually, it died down, so I decided to um, to move to UK. I had some friends here, just moved, and um, I wanted to just have a period where I just think about what where I want to head and what I want to do. And um, I was still pretty much uh, attracted by the entrepreneurial um, life, and um, I was kind of seeing myself as the entrepreneur persona. Uh, so eventually after just um, a, a, a few months of recollection in uh, in Scotland, deep in, in Scotland uh, lands, uh, I, I realized that um, I want to continue to um, explore this uh, technology engineering um, application side. I bought a bunch of books. I started learning. Bear in mind, up until then, again, my only interaction was creating my own website. So I didn't have a deep knowledge and understanding of um, engineering patterns and um, and um, standards and so on. So I picked up a couple of books. Uh, I learned a couple of things. And then I started um, looking for freelance jobs. But um, yeah, so then afterwards, uh, around three years, I've spent three years in, in London just uh, doing freelancing while in parallel, I was trying various uh, to start various businesses. I've tried hosting services, creating a, a, a hosting website for, for others to host their website. Um, I've tried um, a social sharing widget for websites. Um, I've tried a... Uh, a platform where you can uh, find all of your travel informations uh, for various nationalities. So I tried various ideas to start various ideas. Um, none of them actually picked up. So I spent three years of my life closed, uh, closed in, in a room, trying various things and making a living by doing freelancing projects for creating WordPress website and so on. So um, it wasn't really a jump from, you know, the cosmetics to Jira extensions and so on. And after three years of um, constant failures, um, I realized that it was time for me to get a job. So I got a job um, as a senior software engineer for a company in London, spent five years there and uh, 
that's where I started Jigsaw with my co-founder um, because we wanted to work together and because we had a bit of an idea and so on. So a very bumpy uh, kind of history. It wasn't very straightforward. Tell us about those early days of Jexo then. Let's hear about what pain were you trying to solve initially that you thought, you know what, this is a product. Let's take, let's, let's, let's give this a go. Well, I, I talk about this quite a lot. Um, everyone that asks me in, in all of my videos as well. Uh, we didn't really start Jexo because of a problem statement or because we wanted to disrupt or change uh, an industry or such. The reason why we started Jexo is because Nikki and I wanted to work with each other. Uh, we were working for the same company, but at one point we moved into different teams and we wanted to continue to collaborate and work with each other because we knew we um, we were good at it. So we decided to build uh, something of our own and uh, kind of like a side of this project. And at that point, I was uh, also playing the release manager role. And uh, I had this need for a tool in Jira, we were using Jira, um, to help us track releases across multiple projects. And the only thing that I could find at that point was portfolio for Jira. It wasn't even, it was a standalone app at that point. There's no advanced roadmaps. This was back in 2018. So, but the, the problem with that was that it came with a bit too much of a overhead. Um, it had too much functionality for what I needed. I just needed a calendar view with all of the releases from across multiple projects. So we decided to build it. And as soon as we put pen on paper, uh, we realized that this could be actually helpful for others to, to use and started getting into figuring out because I knew there was a marketplace because we, we used to install other apps into our Jira and pay for them. So I knew that that existed. So we started looking into the ecosystem and the rest is history. <laughs> I think it took us uh, it, it, it took us a bit to figure out really what we wanted to do. Early on when we put that app on the marketplace, we were still kind of in a, in a floating state with um, we wanted to do some Slack apps and some other marketplaces. We wanted to do extensions, but um, we were looking at other marketplaces. So it took about probably two, two and a half years to really define what we want to do and to reach this point where we're fully invested in the Atlassian ecosystem and we build project management solutions um, and agile solutions for, uh, for Jira. So during this time, did you still have your day job? Did your co-founder still have her day job or were oh, you yes. just working yeah. on this? So for the, for two years, for the first two years, we had full-time jobs and doing this on the side. Um, we used to work early morning. We used to wake up super early and do a couple of, put in a, put in a couple of hours for Jigsaw, then um, eight hours at work. And then in the evening, again, put another couple of hours and then weekends as well, full on. So we really didn't have a life for two years. I wouldn't even say we have a life now, but still, it was way, way worse back then. <laughs> so you now described three periods in your life where you, uh, where you didn't have a life have a life outside of your room. Yeah, maybe yeah. there was something in between there then that we're missing. But um, it sounds like you have spent quite a bit of time in front of a computer. I can't lie. Yeah, and I'm 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 a very weird person. I <laughs> I feel that I unwind in front of the computer doing research or being on forums, blogs, and things like that. But I've, I, I grew up with a computer. I was so um, 
just um, mystified, just super into um, this little box that since I was a child that I kind of grew up with it. And now I kind of don't know what to do with myself when I don't, when I don't have technology in front of me. I know that sounds terrible, but I, I don't know. That's, that's just me. <laughs> And what's, what's the driver for that? Is it that one day you'll be this tech billionaire or is it literally just what you enjoy doing? So I think it's well, enjoy doing so. And this is why Jigsaw started. Again, Nikki and I wanted to build the perfect workplace for ourselves where we focus mainly on our craft and what we love to do and continue to evolve and discover and, and, and be... Um, wowed by you know by technology trends and such now for example now we're looking at nfts we're creating some nfts and we're doing a bunch of things so we're always super curious about technology and i felt that when we were working in a bigger company there were some challenges here and there that took away from that um, um magical aspect of, of of exploring technology and also having this background when I I used to just um, have a business and explore technology be a freelancer and ex- explore technology I always I was always very flexible on this ends so that I can continue my um I would say uh, my endeavors into into um becoming a better version of myself as, as a technologist and I and I felt that it was time for us eventually to move on into um, full-time our role and even today we do the same so we have Jexo is our business we continue to evolve we continue to push things but we're also exploring other things so I spend quite a bit of time into um, filmmaking um, tech and all of this stuff because we were mentioning earlier I'm, I'm, I'm a big um a fan of uh, of filming cameras, uh, microphones, and so on, um, but also in technology. Again, we're looking at um, crypto, NFTs, and all of these things that are becoming Web 3.0 now. So you sleep maybe 30, 45 minutes a night, if that, yeah? <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, there are some people who don't need as much of it, and you seem, seems like you're one of those guys who's just, you're going, you're, do, you're, you're doing could you tell us a little bit about some of the lessons that you have learned since Jexo's begun? I mean, you've been d- digging into all sorts of stuff since you've launched the company as its own yeah. business. What are some of the real eye-openers that came about in this period? Well, there were a lot of reasons why my previous businesses failed. The so-called businesses, um, wannabe businesses in my three years being locked in in a room trying to start, trying to be the next Mark Zuckerberg or this person. Um, there, there are a lot of factors that um, I didn't have the knowledge of or visibility that were keeping me at bay without growing. And I think the reason, a couple of reasons why Jexo is growing currently and it's 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 a successful venture for me and my co-founder is one i gain enough experience in my five years working for a reputable company with brilliant people around me to understand how to operate in a team how to communicate uh, bear in mind, before that, I didn't really have a team. I wasn't working with bigger teams and to know how to, especially with um, with the previous company, I kind of evolved from senior engineering to management roles, to leadership roles and so on. And I was actually their first employee in UK. And 
um, I think the second or third um, in the company. And uh, the company went and, and sold um, in 2020 uh, when there were 160 employees. So I grew with the company. So I, I was able to see all of the uh, mechanics, the dynamics of, of growing a business from an early startup to, uh, uh, to being sold. And that exposure helped a lot in, in giving me the maturity that I needed as, as a leader to, um, to set up my own path. There's still plenty of things that I've um, learned and adopted culture-wise, processes-wise, and so on that echo through Jexo today from the previous um, company that I was working for. So that's one of it. And I think the second part is I never really understood what it takes to make a product successful. Um, I had a very shallow understanding because of you know social media and what we were being fed. Um, that you know, you build a product, you do a couple of ads here, and bam, you if your product is good, um, everyone's gonna buy it and everyone's gonna uh, you're gonna become extremely successful on, on the back of that, which the reality is not that black and white. And um, yeah. And so we're, I think we've, we learn a lot about marketing and, uh, and about how to grow a product from customer retention, acquisition, and so on. So you describe yourself as a lean startup so on your website, and a big part of that is learning, right? Validated learning, understanding your customers. How do you, how do you actually do that uh, at Jexo? How do you understand what your cam- uh, customers want or need or things that they don't even know that they want? Well, we do have a lot of demos. So we um, we have a lot of demos with customers. Um, we promote that quite a bit. And we also use uh, events and we aggregate data about the customer engagement to really understand what they find useful and not. So, yeah, so I would say these are around customer retention um, practices. We... Um, we do have signals and triggers in the application that makes us make us understand when a customer is engaged or not. Uh, and these are hypotheses that we made um, initially and we started tracking and uh, we can act upon them um, after that, uh, be it by trying to educate the user or by um, uh, trying to understand better what they need. Um, education is not necessarily the... Um, the problem solver in every single case is there might be some lacks that um, that exist. So we try to do a, a mixture of both, um, basically educate and also understand and adapt based on customer needs. Our products usually are extremely MVP, extremely minimal when we launch them. And we learn a lot from customers. And a lot of the features that exist today in the products are because customer had a need. And um, and we that's that's where the heavy work exists. So when we launch a, a new product in MVP, that's just the beginning. That was the easy part. Um, the challenging part is afterwards aggregating um, all of the uh, feedback and understanding a customer behavior in order to take decisions and improve the products the right way. And so far, I think we were quite successful with that. Nikki is pretty much our research guru, my, my co-founder, Nikki. Um, and uh, we, we were always able to um, pick up and, and adapt the, the products in such a way that people come in afterwards and they just get it and, and um, see the value of it. 
So you mentioned earlier that you host a podcast as well. It's called The Startup Corner, and you are devoted to sharing some of the lessons that you've learned in this journey, in the several journeys of of businesses. Tell us a little bit about the show. Yeah, so the show is actually two parts. So um, I do two types of content. One is uh, video, recorded videos where they're kind of prepared, scripted, and so on where I talk about, I put my thoughts on paper and then sit in front of the camera and do a video about a specific challenge. Um, be it, for example, how to do a, a, how to have a successful pitch deck tips or um, how to bootstrap or other, how to hire and so on. Um, and these are, again, based on our experience, they're not cookie cutter. So, uh, you know, the, the type of, business that I have and the type of decisions that I took that worked for me are not going to work for, for everyone. Um, so that's one part, which is these recorded tutorials, to put it like that, and uh, and thoughts. And then I also have a podcast where I invite uh, founders from across the Atlassian uh, ecosystem, but also outside the, the ecosystem, talk a bit about their experience and, and um, uh, where they're going and who they are as, as an entrepreneur and as a founder. I, I, I feel that a lot of um, the audience and a lot of the people that I talk to uh, want to, to learn more from founders um, and, and get a, that diverse view. Um, so there's a, a bit of a saying, I guess, in the startup world that to be a successful founding team, sort of early days team, you need a hacker, a hustler and a hipster. Would you agree with that? Yeah. <laughs> um, do I agree with that? Yeah, I would. I would. I would say that um, it doesn't necessarily need to be three individuals with these traits separately. You can have a mix of people that share the traits, but you do have to have these traits. I guess you can loosely translate it into someone who knows how to code, someone who can sell and someone who knows the design bit, right? Yeah. So it sort of makes sense. It, it does. So, and that, that was, I think that was a lifesaver for, for, for Nikki and I at the beginning, because amongst the two of us, we were sharing those traits. So I was engineering early on, I was building the applications. Uh, Nikki was designing them. And um, then we were also working on um, selling, on marketing, and so on. We we've done a couple of growth hacking courses together. We would sit. We have a whiteboard in the other room, and we would sit. And um, I remember we we've done um, Dan Martel's growth accelerator program, and we would sit. We would every uh, every Saturday would sit in front of the computer. We'll watch an episode, then go to the sketchboard pause the episode, draw the exercises and so on, so that we learn. So when we came in, it was the hacker and, you know, the designer or hipster, whatever, which is the designer and the engineer. And then the marketing bit, we had to just spend time and educate ourselves um, and learning how to sell. But you definitely need, either need to have all three um, to start a, a business um, the right way on the right, right foot, or at least have enough time to educate yourself of one or the other traits. So also understand you have another role in the company, um, which I guess is quite key, and that's the chief cuteness officer. Uh, what does he or she 
do on a daily basis? Uh, yeah, so Chief Cuteness Officer is uh, our um, Jack Russell Terrier Peanut. Um, she's uh, two years young now, and uh, her role is to make everyone smile and, and be as happy as possible. So we bring her in the stand-ups from time to time, and um, um, we're also we also have we're preparing some uh, commercials and some things with uh, with her as the as the main. Uh, role. So yeah, she has a very important role. She also sleeps a lot, <laughs> which again, it's important. Well, I, I would point out that Adaptivist's chief marketing officer, Gertie, <laughs> is always a, a valuable asset. It brings a lot to the company to have you know somebody in the canine division uh, be there to support the employee morale. How is response to the startup corner? Are you getting a lot of feedback? Are you getting people going like, oh, thanks for exposing this. I, I needed this. Yeah, so uh, I think so. So I, I do have a few people that are watching regular and such. It still didn't um, kick off uh, uh, majorly. Um, but if I learn anything is persistent, it, persistence is, uh, you know, halfway, half half of the, um, the journey to put it like that. And um, I do have people that really enjoy learning from from my experience i have people from the atlassian ecosystem um, that tell me uh, that they're you know it's it's reassuring to hear others talk about their their journey it also helps you feel like and validate whether you know um what you do is um on par with others or not um and i also have folks that haven't started yet a business. And I think um, just having this early insight into what it is to run a business, because again, we're not extremely successful. We're on our way there. And it's important to get fresh baked thoughts from someone that is one or two steps ahead rather than a thousand. It, sometimes it can feel detached. And, I, and I'm super aware that maybe in five years from now, where I'm in a completely different place, I wouldn't be able to tell the stories that I tell today the way I tell them today. Um, and I think that's very important. I also have, um, I'm part of uh, this uh, program here in UK called DORM, where I mentor um, early founders and people that come out of uni and want to start the business and so on. And I think that's one of the things that they appreciate the most, the fact that I can relate because I've been having a growing business for four years, not for a decade or two. Um, so there's a lot of things that are fresh for me that I can um, help uh, mentor others. And for the ones that you talk to who, who have an idea um, that sort of fits into the Atlassian ecosystem so um especially around apps for the marketplace mm -hmm. is that is that a route that you would recommend what is the pros and cons if someone wants to um create an app for the uh, atlassian marketplace yeah so i actually have had a um a couple of people that i've uh, talked to that uh, were on their way of building uh, an application for the marketplace or thinking about it and um well i think the benefits Benefits are pretty straightforward, I would say, although probably not ob obvious for uh, for everyone. I also made a video about this. I would say the ecosystem and being part of of a family of um, of other people that have done the same thing as you and have the knowledge is is quite powerful. 
because it makes you feel like you're not trying to climb steep mountains with absolutely no support. Um, I would say it is a lot easier to get discovered on the marketplace versus, let's say, a standalone SaaS tool where you would need to put a lot more efforts into getting customers in the door and um, getting leads and so on. I do share I do share quite a, a bit of um, our experience and where we lacked when when we when we started. There are things that I think there are things that you need to be aware of when when you get started that could cripple your start or your growth early on, um, like how you position yourself on the marketplace, uh, the how you attend all of these programs that are today. Um, a thing in the ecosystem, security programs and and other bits, uh, and how you get involved in in the community and forums and so on. Um, the the downside, so I think the benefit is uh, again the community and having uh, a platform that helps you um, get exposure. I think those are the two main uh, benefits. The downsides, well, it's a lot harder to sell because you have some traits that you need to um, to to follow when it comes to your persona, your personas, your um, leads that you want to attract. Like for example, I can't really sell to absolutely anyone. They have to have an interest in Jira, and then I also kind of lose track of the um, ac- acquisition funnel because not all interested uh, parties will have access to install my app. So uh, then I don't really have that knowledge of how that funnel went when, you know, it actually stops um, at the administrator that might have absolutely nothing to do with my application. So there are some complexities in there um, that make it, make it a bit harder to, to, for you to, to sell and get visibility. Um, There are, ways around that of course uh, but again it's it's so much easy for you to create strategies um, uh, customer acquisition and retention strategies for a standalone tool where you have the absolute power in how you deal with your customers versus having a bunch of restrictions on a on an existing platform and if you could ask Atlassian to make any changes that you answered around the setup around the admin persona also around the admin um sort of user um to make your life easier what would it be uh, well i think it it's it will get a bit technical because there would be a couple of things that i would want so i would want a, a, a way to understand how our marketing campaigns evolve and at the moment is very difficult given that you break that chain when you need to install the application and you have absolutely no visibility over that because you have an admin that installs the app. I think it's only Atlassian that has the absolute power to to help vendors and partners with that. And then I would say um, the second bit is um, there there needs to be a, a, a better way for us to communicate with our consumer. Um, it, it is 
absolutely impossible unless you do. So what we do is we have in-app messaging um, systems and and um, notifications and things like that. So, you know, if we have an update on the app, you'll get a little blinking thing in the corner. So you can, if you're using the application, you can go and check and figure out <clears throat> what we've released and, and so on. But for applications that don't have a full page and more, more interfaces around configuration and such, it's nearly impossible to reach to the actual consumer. So I think those are the two things that I would ask of Atlassian. One is um, <clears throat> giving us visibility over how our campaigns and our efforts into marketing uh, are going. Um, because even there are certain ways, I, I don't think they're as transparent and as easy to adopt. And, and second, um, just having that reach to, to the consumer directly. I think those will be the major ones. And I think that's that maybe probably a lot of the um, Atlassian ecosystem would say the same thing. <laughs> All right, Bureau, this has been super informative. I've learned a lot. I still haven't figured out how to start my own business yet, but we'll be in touch. What has got you excited for 2022? What's what are you looking forward to in this new year that we're we're heading into now? Well, it's it's going to be an extremely exciting but extremely heavy um, first half of 2022 for us. Uh, we have a uh, an event coming in February, which is uh, called Jexo 22. Um, no, no pun, no play on uh, Team Twenty Two. Okay, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no. So we have on on second of February, twenty twenty two, which is two 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 two. Uh, that's why we called it twenty two. We have a an, a a reveal event where we're going to talk a bit about. We're going to give some announcements, and we're going to talk a bit about how twenty twenty two will look like for Jigsaw. And I don't want to give too many things away, but um, we've been hard at work. We've uh, we've been collaborating with um, a lot of people as well, and um, we have a, a few announcements over over that event, um, which I think um, will be of interest of a lot of um, people in the Atlassian ecosystem. So it's not a. Is it a new app? Is it services? I got to prod you a we, little. I would not be doing my job if I didn't prod this you. This is where bit. we start guessing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Well. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of the event, right? To 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 keep you guessing. I can tell you that uh, it is more than you think. That's the only thing that I can tell you. So um, I, I'm sure that some people might think that we're launching an app or something like that, or that we have updates for our existing apps, but. Uh, it's a lot more than that. And some of the things that um, people will not expect one bit. So yeah, stay tuned. And then I would say um, 2022, we hope, so we we just, uh, this month we're reaching um, half a million in annual recurring revenue, which we're extremely pr proud of. Um, this is all cloud. We have zero server data center apps. And um, we hope that over, 2022, we can get that to a million. Um, we've had almost 200% growth um, over the last year. We're expecting at least 100% over this year. Um, so yeah, and in terms of the team, I've 
made a video. I keep referring to my videos. This is so bad. <laughs> no, no, we're gonna link to. We're gonna make sure that we link to your uh, channels here in the show notes for this episode. So yeah, yeah. link. Like, tell us all about it. Because I, I, I feel that I put my thoughts so often into my videos that um, when I talk to someone, it feels repetitive. So even when I have a private conversation, I'm so <laughs> weird. Even if I have a private conversation and talk to a person, I'll refer them to my video to check it out. It's just embarrassing. Um, no, but I, so I talk about this, about the fact that we want to stay all forever startup. Hmm. Um, you I probably, so. um, I call it a forever startup because uh, we're extremely flat. We want to stay flat and um, we're probably not going to grow in size that much. Um, and that is because of my and Nikki's and the team's desire to continue to um, to grow and have this work playground sandbox um, without creating vertical structures and um, trying to avoid some of the challenges of growing companies. As I mentioned, work, uh, working for the previous company and growing um, to, for, for five years with the company, um, I learned a thing or two about the challenges. And I mentioned in that video that the, the most common challenges that we're avoiding. Now, it doesn't mean that they're not solvable, but we would, we'd rather focus on our craft and doing our business and not have to worry about you know, we we're now 30 and we need managers here and we need to figure out this structure and how do we maintain our culture and how do we communicate better and so on. When you're in a more restricted, more um, private setup, I feel that um, it's, a, it's a lot easier to maintain what you have. So we're doing our best to continue to grow. Um, we're probably not going to exceed 20 anytime soon. Um, there's uh, there's 11 of us, so probably next year we'll get to 15 or something like that. And um, yeah, we do have our challenges because trying to grow and you know um, double in revenue over the year and not growing too much in in size as a team comes with challenges. But um, what we tr- try to teach each other internally is to to be smart about how we do things and um, to uh, to make sure that we prioritize the impactful um, stuff around us. And, and I'm not talking just impactful in terms of delivering work, um, impactful around our values um, and our company values, which includes happiness, which includes uh, pride in the craft and so on. Um, so when I say impactful, I'm referring impactful um, towards our our values, um, not just uh, you know growing in revenue or something like that. I think you're really onto something here, Barry. And I actually heard um, just the other day another company saying just that that they are planning on capping their number of people to ten, no matter what happens. And you called it the forever startup. So yeah. wow, this is where you heard it first. Yeah, I don't know if it exists. I, I titled my video the the forever startup. Um, but I think it's a it, it is a, a mindset. Um, we want to keep the company lean, minimal. We want to continue to to build and do great things, but we want to maintain our our happiness as well and take decisions around our our values. And we've 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 had so many. Uh, we have so many examples where we took a decision towards our happiness rather than our um, revenue. And we're probably going to co- continue to um, to do that uh, moving forward. 
and, and I'm not saying right. So there, there will probably be a time where um, Jexo will have to partner up with with um, a bigger uh, family, right? Um, because the way the ecosystem is evolving, it's gonna. Uh, I predict that eventually it's gonna become an extremely volatile environment for those of us that are smaller. Um, but and in order for us to continue to be to um, cherish our perfect workplace and uh, continue to um, uh, uh, care about well-being and happiness, we'll probably need to take decisions that. Um, at first might not seem like, but there are decisions in order to maintain that little nook of, of a team that's um, excited and challenged of, of progressing products. And if you're working in an extremely volatile environment where there's stress around um, various decisions and such, then you're destroying that. So we do understand that there might be a, a period where we'll need to take the decision. And I think everyone in the team will take that decision happily because it will be the right decision for, for us. Fantastic. Biro, it has been inspiring to hear your story and to learn about your journey into the Atlassian ecosystem. So thank you so much for sharing that with us today. Thank you so much for giving me the time and the space for this. I know I talk a lot, so uh, sorry for that, right? Um, but it's also, it's been a pleasure. You're um, wonderful uh, hosts. And this is, uh, this is also my first podcast outside our own podcast at Jigsaw and such. So it's been a, a lovely experience for myself as well. We'll try and get you on a few more of the shows in the Adaptivist Live family of podcasts. That's for sure. Ingrid Thornton, lead product manager at Adaptivist. Thank you for co-hosting today. Thank you, Ryan. It was uh, really good and really nice to meet you, Bira. Nice to meet you too. Thank you. So we will include links to Bureau's podcast and these videos that he's been discussing, as well as the registration link to Jexo 22, no relation to Team 22, uh, in the transcript and show notes for this show. That's it for this edition of Team Titans. Thank you all so much for listening. Please leave a review on your favorite podcast network of choice, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.